Weary Travelers to TV on the Hillside. My name is Mo Hill, and with me as always, wearing a Virginia is for Lovers t-shirt, it's Nate Burnside. See, it's funny, because as someone who grew up in Maryland, I'm very aware of the slogan for the state of Virginia being Virginia is for Lovers, but there was once a time when you and I and another person were driving into Virginia, and you saw the sign, and you were like, Virginia is for Lovers? What is that about? Yeah. <laughs> And I was like trying to explain. I'm like, well, it's like the tourism bureau's slogan. And you're like, why is it so creepy? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I can't really explain that. It, it, it it's from like the '60s, I think they came up with it. And so like, it's, it is really creepy though. <laughs> so there's all these like license plates and bumper stickers and T-shirts like Eugene has apparently. And yeah, that it's uh it's the slogan for the state of Virginia. Look, there's no good explanation for it in 2016 for your state slogan to be Virginia's for lovers. And the funniest thing is that when that scene happened, immediately I said, oh, my line for this week is going to be wondering why dinkleberries are brown. But then you see Eugene wearing a Virginia's for lovers T-shirt. I said, nope. You have been surpassed, Abraham. You have been surpassed. <laughs> yeah, Virginia's for lovers. That's, you know, it's one of those things where if you live in close enough proximity to it for a long enough time, you stop noticing it. <laughs> to me, that's no longer funny because it's like always been on signs like for my whole life. But then for someone like you who's never driven through Virginia, like the first time you're driving through Virginia, you're like, what? Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. All right, so today we're going to discuss The Walking Dead's Not Tomorrow Yet. But first, Nate, do what that thing you it is that you do, that you do. All right. Say words. With, yeah, with that really, really enlightening intro. Um, <laughs> our upcoming schedule is still kind of up in the air, and this might seem like a flimsy transition, but the internet is also kind of up in the air. So go check out our website at tvonthehillside.wordpress.com. If you can't remember the URL, you can find your way there from our Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I'd like to imagine that you're listening to this podcast while totally awake, and you aren't using it as a way to fall asleep. In the case that I'm wrong, now's the time to wake up, subscribe to this podcast, rate it five stars, and leave a comment. Sleeping is dangerous anyway. Sometimes you can get a knife pushed slowly through your temple. Ugh, so sad. By the way, I did like the juxtaposition there of them having to slowly kill those people. And then seeing all the Polaroids of all the awful things that they did. Because if they had just seen the Polaroids first, they would have been like, screw this guy. And it's also good for the audience because you want to feel bad for Glenn. And then you want to feel – but you don't want the audience to feel bad for the people that Glenn is killing. Right. So it's a good it's a good way of doing it. Yeah, so let's start from the top, though, of this week's Walking Dead. Carol made cookies out of beets and walnuts. <laughs> Beats and acorns. Beats and acorns. I apologize. Well, that's really the most eventful part of this episode, I think. Right? Nothing else really happened. Nothing else really happened in this episode besides those cookies. <laughs> My only thing to say about the cookie thing is that Carol left one by Sam's grave, I guess because she's made him cookies in the past, and while she was making him cookies, she pretty much scared him. Well, not to death, but scared him enough to cause him to die later and cause his entire family to get killed, I guess? Yeah. And <laughs> the one thing I actually – there's a comment I wrote down, which is if you are going to have a scene the moment before the opening credit sequence be something that you're supposed to really you know, understand and really like feel bad for Carol for and like, oh, she left a cookie by his grave. That's crazy. 
you really shouldn't make the cookie the same color as the dirt that the cookie is on. Well, but it's a, it's a cookie. I mean, what are you going to do? Make it orange? Well, she could have put it on top of the gravestone, which is dark gray. And then it would have stood out more. But I literally looked at it. I'm like, what are we? Oh, we're looking at Sam's. We're looking at Sam's grave. Oh, hold on. Oh, I think I think I see. Yeah, yeah, that's an outline of a circle. That's obviously the cookie that she she just put on the cookie there. Like it didn't read as well. I'm saying visually. Well, I think it's possible that she wants to have it not really be seen because if she, if it's like on top of the grave and then it's obviously seen, maybe she might be seen as wasting food. If you put it in the dirt and then nobody sees it, then nobody, you know, knows about it. And it's just a thing for her and theoretically Sam, assuming that the dead child just roams through the town. That's not a bad assumption, considering it's the walking dead. (laughs) That would be great if, like, ghosts, if ghosts existed in this universe. Because then you'd have, like, would the ghosts be free to come back after they die but not until their zombie self is also killed? Because otherwise, wouldn't you just have, like, everyone's ghost following around their zombie going, Stop that! (laughs) Okay, we're not getting into ghosts. (laughs) We're not getting into the pros and cons of ghosts on The Walking Dead. What I'd actually like to talk about is the pros and cons of diplomacy on The Walking Dead. Rick and the group come back, and uh, they gather everyone in the church to discuss... The fact that they need to go attack Negan's group and kill all of them, and that way they can start trading with Hilltop and getting food. And obviously Morgan is against this, because Morgan is against any murder or any killing of any type. Then he brings up a... But then he brings up the uh, proposal of let's talk to them first. And I, like probably many viewers and many people in that church, said that's stupid, you got to kill them. That's the way it's got to be. Now, I kind of changed my tune a little bit when they were in the compound later and they were killing people while they were sleeping. And I basically said something to the effect of, if you could kill them while they're sleeping, couldn't you try to capture them and then maybe like turn them to your cause? Like, cause you could always use extra fighters and these guys are just foot soldiers. I was thinking like, could you imprison them somehow? But the problem with that is, how is that really feasible? Like at first I was like, oh, well, you could capture all of them. And I was like, oh, but then what would you do with them? Keep them in like some sort of quasi jail? You could never really be sure that you could let them loose because they're pretty ruthless according to all accounts. So what are you going to do? Like, keep them locked up for the rest of time? Like, they're not like a dog. You can't, like, drive them really far away and kick them out of a van. That's true. But here's the thing. It really depends on if they are foot soldiers or if they're Negan himself or how loyal they are. Well, but we did just see one of the foot soldiers had, like, 15 Polaroids. Actually, I think it was 20 Polaroids of just people whose heads he had killed. Like, what was that? That's true. So you can't do anything with a lot of people. But I'm sure that there are probably some people who basically said, hey, we're in charge now. You work for us. And they'd be like, cool, we'll kill zombies for you and protect your camp as long as we get fed. I don't know. It's tough to make that kind of decision because essentially Rick is correct. Any interaction with them, all you're doing is is risking lives. Yeah. So if if you don't have the Morgan position of every life is somehow precious, even these murderers, then it really 
all you're doing by keeping them alive is risking your own lives, which is hard to do. I think the problem is that Morgan's point would be more of a, a legitimate argument if they were already in a conflict with Negan's group. Because if it was already like Negan's group knew where they were, then it was like, hey, let's talk to them and see if we can work this out. But because they have the element of surprise and it's such a huge advantage, you can't just give that up in case talking works. That's true. That's very true. And that's why, for the most part, I think everyone agrees with the Rick argument as opposed to the Morgan argument. So now, what is Morgan? Is he just totally delusional? And not aware that he lives in a post-zombie apocalyptic world. It's it's kind of getting annoying. I'm not sure he's delusional. I think he knows exactly what the dangers are of his way of life. But I think it's possible that, and I'm hoping this is what he's doing when he's welding stuff at the end of the episode. I'm hoping that he realizes that he no longer can like be with these people. That their way of life and his way of life conflict. And also that... His way of life is fine for him, but it may be putting other people's lives in danger where he is. So I think he may be welding something or building something to prepare to go out on his own. Because I, I think we're approaching it's time for Morgan to leave. Because obviously his values don't really, you know, jive with the rest of the people. Plus, you know, he's obviously put people in Alexandria in danger before. And by before, I mean like a couple of times. Yeah, I hear you. That is one possibility of what he's building. I think he's building a cage for attempted rehabilitation of people, possibly Rick. And I think he may try to capture Rick and put him in the cage and try to make him come back to his way of thinking that all life is precious because that's what that's how he was turned. Um, that's how he was reformed into that way of thinking of the Aikido way of thinking. Two thoughts. One. Please, please don't let that happen. That sounds like the worst narrative plotline I can think of. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And two, I don't want to see that happen because then Rick will just kill Morgan. There's a chance that Rick would kill Morgan, but it really depends. It really depends on a few things. Who else? Here's the thing. If it is a cage, who is it for? I mean, you would assume it would be for Rick. I mean, I'd much rather just have Morgan just like, you know, walk out into the sunset and take a walkie-talkie and Rick would be like, hey, you know, get in contact if you need us. But, you know, Morgan can take care of himself. Like, he can go out there on his own. But... Yeah. But what would he be welding then? I don't know. Something that he needs to take with him? But what does he need to take with him? All he needs is a stick. He wouldn't be welding anything. I definitely think he's welding a cage. It's a, it's a cot? It's a cot. <laughs> First of all, you can't take that kind of stuff with you unless he's welding, building himself a car. Maybe he is building a cage, but he doesn't plan on putting Rick in it. Maybe he is building a cage and he's going to, you know, take one of the cars and transport the cage to some house outside Alexandria that he's going to live in and do his uh thing. Do his shtick? You know, just live out there like uh, the guy he learned from. He'll just live somewhere with a cage in, you know, the middle of the woods, and uh, if he ever comes across somebody, he'll put him in the cage. And That doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But if he, it does happen, he should try to get a goat and then make try to make cheese because it will get boring out there. You should learn how to make cheese from scratch with no knowledge of it. Yeah. Also, I should point out that it's going to take him a long time to find people to put in that cage because at this point there aren't that many people. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to that um, Abraham Rosita scene. No, we skipped over – Carol and Tobin. Do you want to go back to that? Oh, okay. Carol gives Tobin a cookie, and then they have sex. That's not what happened. 
That's pretty much what happened. <laughs> oh, they share a cigarette, and then they have sex. <laughs> they share a cigarette, and then um, and then Carol and Tobin kiss, which really one thing if the goal there is Tobin is going to become a bigger character because. You and I have, have many times joked about how the Alexandria people do not have backstories. So yeah. their ability to like get into the storylines of the show is diminished by their inability to have any sort of semblance of an actual character. So if they're trying to get Tobin in a relationship with Carol, that's fine because then, you know, they'd have a reason for Tobin to exist. One of those Alexandrian people who, like, we know the name of, but is barely a character, and then he's just, like, chilling out in some house in Alexandria. Like, I was joking, one of my notes says at the beginning of the episode, is Carol just giving cookies to people to prove that there are other people there? Um, there's a very decent chance that she's doing that, especially when she was just handing them all all out to Alexandrians and not to, like, her own people. These, these still don't have any conversations with Carol because of the music playing in the background, but it's almost like the writers were trying to prove to us that there were other Alexandrians. It has been a few months. As we've said, it has been two months, so we don't know how much, how well she knows people now. She may know a lot of people. That I was also thinking, you know what they probably don't have a shortage of? Is Tupperware. Like, they may have a shortage of food, but they probably have plenty of Tupperware. So they, she makes all these, like, nice Tupperware containers filled with cookies and just hands them out to people, whereas I would not do that now. If I made cookies for people, I would put them into a plastic Ziploc bag and hand it to somebody because I need my Tupperware and I'm afraid I'm not going to get it back. Yeah, they probably have plenty of Tupperware. They probably have plenty of Tupperware. And so I was just thinking there are probably some pros to being li- to living in the post-zombie apocalypse, and ex- and Carol did just say that, yes, we have tons of Tupperware. So that's one thing. So I think she just wanted to show that. I think she just wanted to show how much Tupperware she had. One of the other pluses of living the zombie apocalypse that we've discussed before also came up in this episode, which is when Carol is out there getting all the acorns, uh, the walker comes towards her, and she kills the walker with the machete and then gets blood all over her clothes. But, of course, it's no problem because she has a whole closet full of clothes. As I pointed out, that would be one of the biggest pluses of the zombie apocalypse is – you could never run out of clothes. That's true. Also, guilt-free smoking. We have discussed this before when we saw Daryl smoking. And it's like, when he says those things will kill you, I'd be like, I hope I die from lung cancer. That would be great. That would be amazing. I'd live to like 70-something probably. <laughs> I think the only downside of the of smoking during the zombie apocalypse is in case you need to run, you really don't want to be out of breath. Yeah, we talked about this. It really it hampers your breathing, so that wouldn't be so great. Uh, and also, I guess if you're Carol, you know, and you're trying to start a new relationship with Tobin, you know, may, maybe you have to be a little more self conscious about your breath. But uh, I don't know. Other than that, yeah, I totally pick it up. And uh, I said that if I ever uh, went to jail for life. Or had lived in the zombie apocalypse, I would probably pick up smoking. It seems like an enjoyable habit. I mean, everyone seems to like it. I just never did it. Yeah, I've never done it either. It just kind of seems like it would be something that would, you know, you would do if you were in like worse circumstances. And I guess the zombie apocalypse definitely counts for that. Yeah, I just feel like my circumstances are good enough that I just don't want to smoke, especially if you're in those cold, those cold days when I'm walking around and it's freezing outside in New York and I see people smoking. I, I say, you know what? I'd probably like to be inhaling fire right now. 
I don't really understand smoking in the summer. That doesn't really make sense to me. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like you understand smoking at all, but okay. There's no inhaling of fire, but all right. <laughs> is, that, is that what it is? That's not really how it works. Anyway, it seems a lot less cool right now. <laughs> what do you think of the, the whole Tobin thing? Do you think it is just straight up a way for the writers to get people to stop bothering them about Carol and Daryl? <laughs> Maybe. I think that Carol and Tobin make a better couple immediately than Carol and Daryl ever did. Just because Carol, Carol and Daryl have more of a mother-son relationship than Carol and Tobin. Now, the funny thing is, this show has a long history of the moment a character finds happiness, they die or the person they love dies. Now, <laughs> Tobin's not out with them. Tobin's safe back at home. So do you think that they put Carol in this relationship so they can kill off Carol and then make Tobin the new guy and say like, okay, we want to make, we want to bring up Tobin's stock right here. So what we're going to do is we're going to kill off Carol, but we have to get them together first. So now we see Tobin's anguish. Yeah. That would also suck. I don't know. It, it seems like it would be pretty cool if, if Tobin had a bigger character and was actually like part of the show, which as we've discussed is basically a problem for pretty much every Alexandria. Well, here's the problem with um, all the Alexandrians at this point. The fact is that they're not good fighters, and to become good fighters, they need to, uh, to they need to become good fighters to to exist in this world. Now, this show is littered with people who started out as not good fighters and then became Batman. So, like with Carol, with Father Gabriel, now with Eugene. Like, they, this entire show is starting, is, is filled with people who, oh, you know, we didn't really fight so much, and now we're fighting more with Maggie, with Glenn. Like, there's so many, and now we're ruthless, and now we can take care of ourselves, and now we'll do whatever we need to do. And you shouldn't do that again with a Tobin. So you have Tobin, who is not a good fighter. He said he'd be more, he's more scared than Carol is at this point. Now you want to do another character that starts out as not a good fighter, but then Carol's going to die. And then, so Tobin feels like he needs to take over, pick up the mantle and, and become like the next badass fighter guy. We have so many of those. You hear what I'm saying? Like this, that's no good. Yeah. I don't know. There's no good direction for Tobin to be in unless Tobin is killed. And it gives Carol another reason to become more of a badass. Yeah, they have gotten to a certain point with the abilities of Rick's group that is kind of scary. It's like now they all went into a battle with a bunch of crazy killers, and they didn't have a single casualty. They, I don't think they had a single casualty. It would, probably would have been good if they killed off at least one person. But they did take everyone by the by surprise, and... All in all, there probably weren't even too many bullets flying towards Rick's group. Yeah, but I mean, they still, I mean, they did kill a bunch of people in their sleep, but they did still face like machine gun battles, basically, in tight quarters. And I mean, I don't know how many people, I haven't like checked Walking Dead Wiki or anything for the list of people that were killed in that battle, but my guess is it was probably, what, what, what like 15 to 20? Yeah, I would say probably close around a dozen, sure. If you're now fighting off, like, 15 to 20, like, ruthless motorcycle gang killers, and you don't even suffer a casualty, then I'm not quite sure what... You know, it's getting more and more unbelievable that they'd be able to write in deaths for people in the core group on the show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I mean, did anyone think that Glenn was going to die when he dove into that room and he was there, there was machine gun firing through the wall? No, because Glenn is invincible. So I actually thought the guy with Glenn was going to die. I forgot his name. Oh, Heath? Heath, yeah. We were, I mean, we were talking about the, the which people on the show are invincible, and it, it's it's a, a, a lot at this point. And, like, that's the thing where it's like, oh, they took Maggie and Carol hostage. I'm like, well, they're not going to kill them, so... Yeah, but by the way, they shouldn't even take them hostage. They just killed your entire camp. Kill them, say, hey, I just killed your people, and then run. Well, no, I think it's probably a way for them to get their arsenal back. Eh, maybe. But still. I think they need to trade them for their guns. I don't even think they care that much about the guy that they capture, who's still alive. Yeah. I think it's more that they're going to need to get their guns back, because without your guns... I mean, we did talk about before how... I'm pretty sure there's enough guns to go around in the state of Virginia where you could just go find more guns. But considering you've already built up an entire arsenal, I think he'd probably better hold on to it instead of, like, going out to go find one. Yeah. I actually did find it kind of weird when they were discussing um, the layout of the place, how they got some spears from Hilltop. Why do you need spears? That's just mean. <laughs> yeah. It's like I see taking half of your food every month, but taking your spears? I was going to say, like, why don't you have, like, silencers for your guns at this point? Yeah. Didn't, uh, I think two seasons ago, Glenn found, like, a cache of uh, silencers randomly. Yeah. That's one of the other things is that there there aren't nearly enough silencers in the show. Yeah. They have, like, a zillion guns, but not that many silencers, which is confusing because, I mean, I think it's basically a, a plot point. That could, because silencers would would make the show so much simpler. I think they just—it's like they don't exist. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, imagine just this episode alone. If they had a silencer, they would just go into rooms, shoot people in the head, and then walk away. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like, how did nobody wake up? That is that's the number one thing written in all caps on my in my notes is. I can't believe that they didn't wake up. They live in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Before we get to that, let's let's just take a little step back. Uh, I did want to talk about the Abraham Rosita scene uh, where basically I think that was the harshest breakup I've ever seen in television history when he basically said – he said, I'm leaving. And she said, after all we've been together. And he said, basically when I found you, I thought you were the last woman on earth. And you're not. So. Yeah, it was pretty harsh. That's so harsh. Abraham couldn't wait till after this battle? Like, what? Like, why? Yeah. Like, now is when you decide to do this? Like, for all you know, you could die in this battle. What was the point of, like, breaking her heart? <laughs> like. But maybe he just couldn't spend one more night with her? I don't know. It just, it seemed like such a weird thing to write into the episode. It's like. Hey, it's going to be an episode full of ridiculous battles. Let's have Carol kiss a guy and Abraham break up with his girlfriend. I'm like, what? <laughs> Sometimes they just write things. I mean, that's that's happened before on this show, though. Where they'll just write stuff into an episode and you'll just be like, why is that in this episode? Like, couldn't you put that in some other episode? I do not understand why it's in this episode. Um, I am a little bit confused about that, that Carol kissed Tobin, and about... The scene where Tara professes her love, and then she says, well, I don't know if I really love her, but I do love her. Like, what was that? That was a little bit funny, because it involves her 
confessing to a priest when a guy named Jesus is right next to her. That's pretty funny. That was pretty funny, but it's really not necessary. I also, that at least makes some sense because she thinks like there's a chance she might die that she would want to confess. She's like sitting in a car with a priest. Yeah, at least that lined up a little bit. So I'll give him that. By the way, did you even think it was weird at all that when, when the whole battle is over, that Tara and Heath leave in the camper for their three-week-long run right before everything goes down? Um, yeah, that is kind of weird. It is possible that, that that's brought in, that they're brought in a little bit later to, like, flank people and get the Carol and Maggie back. Well, they do drive out towards the direction that I assume uh, the people are talking to Rick from, because... Sasha and some other people, I think, were looking through scopes, and they were looking at the building, and it didn't appear that any of the people that were talking over the walkie-talkie were on the roof. So I'm assuming they were out in the edges of those woods out there. Yeah. So that's just what I assumed in the beginning. So since, you know, Heath and, and, and Tara leave in that direction in the camper, I guess they maybe could see them and then flank them from behind? Yeah, I hear you. It's possible. Not that I would want Tara and Heath to be the two people that would be doing that. <laughs> of all the people. We don't really know how many people are holding Maggie and Carol. I mean, you'd assume it's more than one because, of course, there's two of them. So Yeah, and one of those people is Carol. So, And by the way, the, the other is Maggie. If, if you'll notice in this episode when, when, when uh, Carol makes the, the journal of how many people she's killed, it does line up exactly with Walking Dead Wiki for the number of people that Carol's killed is 18. Uh-huh. Just so you know, though, only, I think, Daryl and Rick are above Carol, but right under Carol is, like, Maggie. Really? Yeah, Maggie's killed, like, 15 people. That's crazy. So, yeah, so the fact that Carol and Maggie are the two people that have been uh, captured, I think I think it's Maggie, I think, right up near Michonne, I think similar level. <laughs> I gotta check this page out on this Walking Dead wiki. The weird thing is, is that uh, if you think about it, it's 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 an interesting list of how many people everybody has killed because somehow Glenn's been on the show much longer than Maggie, and they're married. And you think of Glenn as the one who has to like go out on runs all the time, and yet this is the first time Glenn had to kill a living person, and yet Maggie had killed like fifteen people. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, but none of them have anything on Jack Bauer. Who has killed on screen over the course of eight seasons? How many people? Yeah, it's it's close to three hundred, by the way. Yeah, I mean, with with Carol, also, I think there's a theoretical amount of people she's killed, and like a real amount of people she's killed because she did like set Terminus on fire, basically. Yeah. So you don't really know how many people she killed. So the funny thing is that um, I was looking into this a long time went right before Twenty Four uh, Live Another Day came out, and Jack Bauer, they 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 did not count people that Jack Bauer theoretically killed. They only count people that we know he killed. Right. And it's 267 people. Seems like a lot of people. It's <laughs> great. Anyway, I got to check out that page, though. I want to see who all the people Rick and Daryl and, and Carol and Maggie killed. Michonne probably killed a bunch of people. I I completely forgot that Glenn actually hasn't killed any person, which is kind of crazy. Right, yeah. I guess when you're always around Rick and Daryl, you could just assume that they'll take care of it. Yeah. By, by the way, the, the count is um, of living Walking Dead characters. 
the uh, the number of people they've killed on screen is Rick forty three, Daryl wow. Daryl thirty three, Carol eighteen, Maggie fifteen, Michonne fifteen. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty crazy though. Okay, so the top three women only have five more than the top men. The thing is that it's a little skewed, obviously, because Rick and Daryl have been out there killing people since the first episode, essentially. Whereas Carol only Carol only became like Commando Carol, like in re- more recent seasons, and Maggie hasn't, and Maggie and Michonne haven't been on the show for as long. That's true, and I'm assuming Michonne killed a bunch of people before she came on the show, given how crazy she was. But whatever. Now, is there an accounting of how many walkers these people have killed? No, although I think there is an accounting. It says right at the top, uh, the the walker kill count is 510. I think that's number of people on screen killed by walkers. What? Really? I think so. Because it says... That'd be crazy. Kill count, it says at the top, walkers, 510, and then next is the governor, 139. That's nuts. Yeah, the governor was a bad dude. 139 kills... One eye. <laughs> oh, there's one thing that I wanted to mention. I cannot get enough of scenes where Rick does something terrible and people stare at him and he looks around and goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> and he punches a, a head repeatedly and says, all right, look, the nose is broken. Yeah. By the way, that comment by that hilltop guy yeah. doesn't really make any sense. He's like, Wow, those, you know, the saviors are bad, but they got nothing on you. I'm like, hold on a second. Like, Rick just broke the nose of a dead guy. I mean, that's not really that crazy. And then you see that, like, they deliver the head to the hilltop, and the guy is, like, using it as a puppet. I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're worse than Rick. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like, it just seemed like a line that they put in the episode for effect when... In reality, it's not actually remotely as bad as the stuff that the saviors do. Yeah, that is very true. It's also like when Rick looks around in last week's episode when he's covered in blood and he's like, what? That's that's another moment of like, it's not like he killed people unnecessarily. He was like defending someone's life and then they tried to kill him. I mean, it seems like these people at the hilltop don't really understand how the zombie apocalypse works. (laughs) Wow, I can't believe you killed the guy who was trying to kill you at the time. He's like, you can't believe that? (laughs) Like, I can't believe you broke that dead guy's nose so as to more realistically execute your plan. He's like, you, why not? That (laughs) seems totally reasonable to me. It's also kind of crazy that that the two guys who were standing guard at the location, that they were holding him hostage and they were, was he just waiting? They were just waiting for those guys to show up even though they didn't know they were going to show up and they didn't wake anyone else up. I found that a little weird. He comes unarmed so that they're, they're not really, they don't really care. And But wouldn't the hostage be sleeping? Everyone else is sleeping. Well, he goes and gets the hostage. Even though he's sleeping. Yeah, sure. I think that the living in a, a concrete building with no windows and only one door, is probably, you know, as safe as you can be in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, where'd that building come from? What is that building? So, in reality, that building was a a building built by a rich person to try to uh, scan the skies for signs of alien life. Okay. So... that Hence, hence those giant... Huge satellite dishes. Oh, man. How crazy would it be if they take over that building... And then turn the machinery on 
and then there's alien life. Oh man. <laughs> and they detect something. That would be great. Walking Dead season seven. They may be running out of ideas by then. <laughs> the big bad for season thirteen was Skullbork of the planet Neuron Four. I would just be like, come take this planet. Please. <laughs> they are running out of theoretical big bads. That would be great if uh, one of the big bads is an alien. So they go and they take over uh, They take over the place and they kill a bunch of people. Glenn has to kill somebody. Kill, kills two people, actually, to save Heath from killing people. And then Glenn kills a lot of people once he gets his hands on a machine gun and he's actually, like, in danger. Yes. And he looks out and pretty much sees an entire massacre that he did. Just by shooting through the door. But also, they found the gun stash. They have a ton of guns there. But while they're, everyone's like kicking down these doors and they're trying to get through the doors. Like there was a whole scene. It was very weird. And Abraham kicks down a door and there's like a big green light. And it seemed like they were growing pot in there. What was that? They were. There was a, there was a grow room. For pot? Yeah. Okay. That wasn't ex- explored <laughs> so much. Yeah. They didn't talk about that, but they, they did have a grow room. Uh, where they were growing pot. All right, it's kind of weird. You know, look, the savior's got to mellow out somehow. That's true. Maybe that's why the guy was uh, whistling happy birthday, because he was high. Quick, of Rick's group, who is the biggest pot smoker? Go. Ooh. Pop, who would be or who is? In their previous life, who was? Who was of a Rick's group? I would say maybe Daryl, but like the the angry pot? You know what I'm saying? Not like the cool, mellow pot? No, I would have had Daryl on alcohol. I would say it's Glenn. Glenn, yeah, that's true. Pizza delivery is a very boring job. Glenn does seem like a pot smoker. That that would be that would be great if they, they started having to do with, like, addiction on the show. That would be great. They've already dealt with that when Bob was an alcoholic. No, no, no. I mean just, like, on a constant basis. <laughs> what if it was, like, uh, they they leave the pot grow room there and they don't tell anybody about it and then, like, a bunch of them are sneaking back and, and smoking pot all the time. Kind of like uh, Hurley and the mayonnaise. Yeah. And so so they're just like sneaking back. And then at some point, everyone's like, Glenn, Abraham, we have to have a talk about your addiction. <laughs> Abraham will probably smoke a ton of pot. Uh, Rosita may smoke some pot. Tara. Yeah, Tara does kind of seem like she would smoke pot. Michonne? Interesting. Um, No, I don't really see that. Carol. Because Carol was probably like a hippie. Yeah, it probably wasn't happy. If they get Carl on pot, that'd be hilarious. Oh, that'd be great. Just be like, he's a teenager. He's supposed to smoke pot without his parents' permission. <laughs> and, and Rick says, wow, I didn't think I'd have to deal with this as a parent. Let's talk about drugs, Carl. It would be great, by the way, if Carl started doing, like, all of your regular teenage things. Like, he's, like, smoking pot and, like, you know, like, sneaking out with his girlfriend. And Rick's like, Really? could have sworn the zombie apocalypse had me dodging these conversations. <laughs> Carl and Enid are sneaking off to the grow room. That'd be great. Oh, Enid would totally smoke pot. When Carl is uh, 11 years old but looks like he's 27. <laughs> so what else do you want to say about this episode? Not much. I mean, I don't think that many, like, things really happened in this episode. You can't really, you can't really do a podcast where we analyze them killing a bunch of people in their sleep. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, and then they showed up and killed everyone. The end. <laughs> like, Well, we managed to talk for quite a while. That is kind of impressive, actually, because I really didn't think we had that much to talk about this episode. Well, we always managed to figure something out. Nate, finish this off. 
All right, now that the show's over, get to the internet and check out the rest of our content on our website at tvonthehillside.wordpress.com. If you want to get in touch with us, email us at onthehillsidepodcast.gmail.com, catch us on Twitter at Hillside Podcast, or check out facebook.com slash onthehillside. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and remember to rate the podcast and leave a comment. The theme song you're hearing right now is One by the Breakbeat Chemists. I'm Nate Burnside. And I'm O'Hill, UBKH, you lovers.